And I'm Ben Travers of NT Travers on the Twitters. And we are joined today by a special guest. Say hello, Steve. Hi, I'm Steve Green. I'm Steve Bruin on the Twitters. Hooray. <laughs> and uh, at Steve Bruin, Steve Bruin. And we are talking to you today. You are listening to this on a lovely Monday, a Monday which was preceded by a Sunday, which contained some very good television. Twin Peaks. And also Game of Thrones. Oh, no. Well. You lost me. <laughs> um, we know we've lost you. We know you, your very hardline stance about Game of Thrones. But Do I sit at the middle of this Venn diagram where we have a Twin Peaks person and a, and a Game of Thrones adjacent person, and I'm kind of agnostic in the middle about both? No, I think, I think Liz is in the middle because you don't like Twin Peaks, not the new Twin Peaks. And Liz is kind of, she likes both okay now. Probably, okay. She likes well, Game of, you like Game of Thrones more, right? I like Game of Thrones way more. Which is insane. Uh we're gonna. This is gonna get heated, guys. Oh, I'm. I'm. I've had too much fight. caffeine today, and uh, it's been quite a week. So this is probably gonna get pretty intense. Yeah. But, if if you, if you if at any point if at any point you get really really you know persnickety, let's say about Game of Thrones, friends, just remember he's feeling bitter. Well, also, I mean, we we brought in uh, our good friend and and very knowledgeable colleague Steve Green for the the great important purpose of keeping me in check. There are two voices of quote unquote reason in the room, and one uh, naysayer who is going to challenge their theories that Game of Thrones is uh, the end all be all of television right now. I'm consulting the Oracle, as we call my magic eight ball now, um, about whether or not this is going to be a complete crapshoot of a podcast. And the eight ball says. It is certain. Great. (laughs) So let's get started. Never question the eight ball. (laughs) That's why it's on my desk. Um, So the the thing is, uh, the three of us, along with a couple of of our other colleagues, uh, had the good fortune to go to the Game of Thrones premiere this Wednesday, Wednesday last Wednesday as you listen to this, um, in downtown Los Angeles. It was a pretty, pretty fun event, all things considered. It really was. It was quite impressive. Uh, they Before the actual screening of the first episode, and this was the Wednesday preceding the, the, the actual premiere on HBO, uh, before they showed the episode, they had, they brought out the full orchestra. I'm sorry, was this the L.A. Philharmonic? Who, who, it, was, it was referred to I, as the Game of Thrones Orchestra. I think it, was, I think it might be like their studio orchestra. So they have like an official one. This was my next question. So they brought out the orchestra, well, they have... played the theme, and then they mentioned something about like a Game of Thrones experience. Is this a thing that's happening? I believe it's been on tour. Okay. I, it's I... been a traveling experience that has yeah. gone to different cities across the country, if not the globe. Right. So what they showed us where they first they played the theme and they actually had the theme, you know, the video of it playing on the screen, but it, the, the score was done live. Then they did kind of a highlights reel of, of the end of last season, uh, mainly the intro, uh, the, uh, the first scene in the finale, right? I, I believe the, 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 piece, the, the, I believe the piece of music is called The Light of the Seven. Oh, God. Um, the, fir- the opening sequence, essentially, yeah. Right, which is very, very impressive and, and perfect, uh, perfect for the live score to accompany it. Uh, so that was just, and this was all done in the Walt Disney Confer- Concert Hall. Uh, so a beautiful venue, uh, beautiful score, beautifully done. Uh, and then the episode started, and um, that was just done traditionally, just screened the episode, left, went to an after party, giant, beautiful, across the street, took over a parking lot, 
kind of after party. It was they, ridiculous. They, pro- they projected the Knights King on the on the out, Disney on the concert outside hall. of Disney Concert Hall, which if you if you're not familiar is a is a giant building with with kind of concave walls and uh, very very suitable for serving as a uh, projection screen. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's it was designed by Frank Gehry, and uh, it's a beautiful it's a bu- beautiful building in its own right, and looked really spectacular. Yeah, they had dragons flying on it. It was cool. They had dragons. They had zombies. They had pretty pictures. It was lovely. I'm sure if you want to see any of these images, all you got to do is Google it because there were nothing but people taking pictures of it afterwards. Like everywhere I turned for the next hour and a half, people were taking pictures of it because it was just. It was a sight. Like, it was something to see. Ted, uh, Congressman Ted Lieu asked me to take a photo for him and his wife. Very impressive. And then he offered to take one for me, but I was like, I'm good. <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need a photo of myself standing in front of a building. I just want the photo of the building. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was a great event in, in a lot of in its execution. Um, but, of course, like, the thing that you, gentle listener, probably care about is what we actually thought of the episode that we got to see. And uh, as you read this, uh, my review should be live. Oh, God, I hope it's live because I'll be in trouble if not. <laughs> um, but uh, and I'm still actually kind of sorting it out, though. Like right now, as we record this, I haven't written much beyond my actual notes. God, that's great. No. Great news. That means I can have an impression. No. Or at least you'll have to contradict me in the article, which is, which is also ideal. Why would I acknowledge you? In the article. Your argument would have to. I'm going to get so into your brain, Liz, that you're going to be thinking about it no this, matter what. This implies that I ever take you seriously at all. Fair point. So, like, let's let's be clear about that. I'm just glad that you made this about you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> That's generally one of the more annoying aspects of Ben's hatred of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Guys, it, it's, it's, it's your fault. You guys are the ones who don't actually let me write about Game of Thrones. Like you, you're, I don't know why you're so We, we you're let so you write about it. We just in limited circumstances where you can't do any harm. Yeah, which is insane. Like I, I, I mean, it, uh, it's your fault. You've invited this upon yourself. You've, you've repressed the bottle of energy that I have towards a show that everybody's watching. You're, you're keeping a, a tight screw on the lid, putting out very, you know traditional opinions to go along with the status quo and and now I'm I'm ready to blow it up. Well, I'm going to start off by just saying I loved the fact that they for the second time I think in the show's history had a cold open and I loved that cold open. Uh god. I I was sitting next to I was sitting next to Ben. I cheered at the big reveal, uh, we should officially we should officially go into spoiler territory now, right? right? Yes. We're officially in spoiler territory now. Do not listen if you don't want to be spoiled for what happened in last night's Game of Thrones. But um, I cheered when Arya took off. Arya was revealed, uh, and I saw Ben next to me just shake his head in disgust. Yeah, it was. It's one of those scenes where a you've seen the entire scene before. Nothing about it is original or had had not been done previously or had been done. It wasn't done any differently even than any of these kind of uh, quote unquote twisty massacres. Like it was just like okay, I know exactly what was happening from the second it started. I don't even obviously hold on to the Game of Thrones episodes that well. So the idea that I knew the guy who was talking was already dead and knowing who killed him was the biggest tip-off in the world that, okay, that's her. Plus, they had in the pre-credit sequence the, the mask-pulling-off thing, so it reminded you that this was something that existed. So it was just like, all right, here it is. We know it's coming. We've seen it before. 
Totally it was disagree. Fine. Totally Some disagree. of us like to get lost in the magic of television. Well, and also, no, I, I, I seriously <laughs> thought it was a flashback. So that, that's I, the thing. I, I wonder if I, I wonder how many people thought the same way. Uh, that's the thing. Like my notes, like literally say, like, what? When does this take place? Like I thought, because I think it, in in part that's because they had a, they did it as a cold open, which made it felt feel distinct. And it would it, it could have been a flashback. That's what I was trying to parse together. Um, and so, yeah, I was on that track. And then as soon as, even even with the line, winter is here, I was like, maybe this is a flashback to just recently or something. Look, I'm not saying I'm very bright. I get fooled all the time by twists that people are like, you didn't see that coming? But like, I, I, get, blown, I get fooled by the most easy, simple twist. But you know, that doesn't mean it's not still fun. Uh, I mean, I uh, my biggest disagreement is that Liz would characterize herself as someone who's foolish and I completely disagree with this. The fact that you went along with it is fine. I can understand I always the, get fooled by twists. I can understand the the idea that it you thought perhaps it was a flashback, but there were so many context clues even for the ignorant that we knew that it wasn't fairly quickly and then you also like the just how blatant they were with the wine being passed around and well, how he wasn't wine, drinking the wine and it was just like okay. Like, well, I, knew, I knew the wine was poison. That I definitely knew. But I what I didn't know was that it was Arya. Well, I figured I figured it was just Walter Frey being a massive dick. Well, here's a question for both of you because this is something that I thought about uh, immediately in the moment, and then has kind of lingered since. What do you think of that scene as far as being fan servicey to the audience? Because 100. Because in a way, in a way, I I kind of mentally connected this scene to for those of you who've seen The Handmaid's Tale, uh, the very end of the episode with. That is titled Nolite Te Bastardes. Carburandurum. There we go. Uh, same idea where you have a moment that is, ab- is supposed to galvanize an audience behind a specific character is a moment of triumph, but is underlined so strongly that in the moment you can't help but feel the hand of the creator guiding it as it's happening. I, I, and I, I, I like both scenes as a uh, individually. But there is something, the only thing that keeps me from sort of declaring this as a really effective moment of television is because it feels so designed for the audience that it's aimed towards. Uh, I completely agree with everything Steve said with the the added idea that, <laughs> that again, like I, I don't feel like in terms of fan service, it's satisfying for everybody who's going to be watching live, but from a story structuring standpoint, Think about watching the fin- like last year's finale and then going straight to this. We already had that point. We already had the emphasis of getting behind Arya and seeing what she's capable of doing and getting behind. We don't need to get behind her anymore. This is not progressing the plot or moving anything forward that dramatically. So the fact that it was predictable as well as fan servicey to me undermines the service part of that fandom. And I'm, I mean, again, I'm glad people, I hope people enjoy it. I, I just, it's more of one of those reminders that Game of Thrones, it doesn't always doesn't always pull off those kind of grandiose moments uh, that it gets credit for like it did in the finale with that crazy sequence in which uh, Cersei blows everybody up. Yeah. Well, here's the point I want to make about the cold open for this episode. I mean, I definitely, like, cheered instinctually when when the Arya reveal came. But I'm not going to say that... I, do, I think it was a real moment of triumph, and I think one of the important things about that scene is the fact that, like, there's, like, there's, Arya's crossed a line, and I think that we are going, and I, I, I feel like the show will be really, really compelling, really, really exciting 
if it crosses, if it really digs into the idea that we, like, Arya's just completely gone to the dark side. Like, I think like that, and which is really interesting for a character who's like one of the most likable, who's been like a real touchstone, I think, for people. Like, in a. In and the, it was kind of the representation of purity in, in the early part seasons as, as sort of this innocent character who, who kind of got ma- mangled up in something that she didn't want a part of, really. Yeah. All right. Well, in, in relation to that, I think we should move on to the next and most problematic scene, or at least it's not the most problematic, but it is one where it's just horrifically egregious in terms of both fan service and lack of relevance. And that's Ed Sheeran. Well, let's... Ed Sheeran is Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran gonna Ed Sheeran. I no, don't... no, 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 no. It's not the fact that he he was a bad actor. They very carefully gave him lines that he didn't have to give, you know, uh, lengthy dialogue by any means whatsoever. It was the fact that he was introduced by singing a fucking song because he's Ed Sheeran. <laughs> and you're like, as soon as the song started, I don't know who Ed, I barely know who Ed Sheeran is. I barely know what he looks like. But as soon as the song started, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I know who this is. I know what's about to happen. And the scene itself did not ring true to what Game of Thrones has been about for so long. It's turning into kind of a safer zone where uh, Arya shows up and she sits down and all these people are just kind of nice to her and they give her some meat and she just kind of sits there and eats it and they sing and Ed Sheeran talks a little bit. It's like that's that's there's no conflict there. There, there should have been some sort of threat that would have made the scene more uh, exciting or engaging or, or command. It would have given it some sort of narrative drive. And there was it was completely absent. It well, was just a pleasant little scene, so you could sit there with Ed Sheeran. That's why I'm withholding judgment on that scene until we see if there is a bigger context to it. Because I'm I'm not convinced that's a one-off. Yeah, I I, I I do feel like there's a small part for that scene to play in the overall season. And also, <laughs> I mean. My my thing with Ed Sheeran is, it's like, Ed she- you know mentioning Ed Sheeran to me like I I just so actively do not care about him or his music that I was just like oh hey I guess that's Ed Sheeran in this scene whatever they're doing they're talking about eating things that's nice. Well, it's I mean again it, Arya's getting drunk. It's nice you're able to to buy into the narrative from just the narrative's perspective, which is obviously what they're designed to do. But because so much of Game of Thrones has this crazy fandom behind it, who's been studying this and already knows that he's going to be a guest star, I feel like the reaction to it is going to be warped. And if you are creating it specifically for those fans, it it turns into a different thing because of it. And then on the other side of it, uh, for me, it it just kind of kind of speaks to what Game of Thrones is becoming and, and what I what worries me about it. It feels like a safer show than it used to be. Mm. It feels like something that knows it's a multi-billion dollar property and doesn't really want to piss anybody off anymore. It wants to give you moments that are just kind of easy and fun. And, and that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But it does, to me, make it a little bit less interesting. Now, are you saying that in comparison to seasons past? Or you, oh, like- yeah. Like, what do you say, like, was, like, a, a moment in, like, season two or three that they would never get don't, away of now? Don't, do not test I'll, I'll, I'll tell you no. a moment. I'll tell you yeah. a moment. In, in season two, when they had a fast-paced montage where there was a character cleaning out chamber pots. Because that, well, that, <laughs> oh, wait, that was, that was Sunday's episode. I, I, I so I, I would, I would push back on that a little bit. I, I, I do feel like they're. The chamber pot scene is your example of Game of Thrones being daring and unconventional and <laughs> and, and not fitting to like a, a servicey general vibe. Like, I mean, that was something where you're literally watching it going, okay, like I got the point like at the very beginning and we're going to continue on with it because it's fun. Like I'm talking about the things that were controversial in the past and I'm not going like, to support well, any of them, the, but what I, Liz, what I, I don't have these... a Game of Thrones knowledge. I have a very specific, like the, the There's I mean, nothing controversial you can think of. Uh, when they shoved Bran out the window. Okay. 
very first episode. When they killed Sean Bean. I mean, not not just killing very favorite characters, episode. but like the stuff early on that set a tone where Game of Thrones was a much darker show and mm. it had a lot of edge to it. The stuff that George R. R. Martin wrote, I think last season was a big change for them because it wasn't Martin anymore. Literally the first scene after the opening credits in this episode is a shot of a cloud of ice where an army of undead zombies ride through and I know they're not zombies, they're white walkers. Ride through <laughs> on, on undead horses because they are about to go murder all living things in this realm. I'm here to play devil's advocate. Like I, I I'm I'm just saying that I I think I, I think the nothing, show is darker than, than nothing happened in this episode to indicate that that was the case. And those White Walkers, when they arrived last year, nothing happened to indicate that this would have been as dark as stuff that had already happened. Well, They're so, CGI so it characters. Like, so it seems like your problem is more that this episode was more scene setting than actually advancing the plot. Well, this is a this has always been the case for Game of Thrones. So to say that that changed is is crazy. That's always been what they've done. Every episode, there's so much going on. There's so many stories. There's so much setup that they have to construct the first episode that way. That's that's kind of just the accepted. That's kind of the given. And that's one of the things that, you know, a lot of people get really hyped up for something big is going to happen in this first premiere episode because something big always happens in Game of Thrones and we just saw something big in the finale, so it's, it's going to be big. And it usually isn't. It's usually a little bit less so. It's setting the scene, as you said. Um, and that's fine, but I feel like there is a better way to set the scene than, than this. Like, I feel like there is more productive ways to do it. And what I'm talking about in general is just that I thought last season was a lot lighter. One of the things that I really disliked about the early seasons was how dark they were, but that was, for some reason whatsoever, what drew a lot of people to it and made it feel edgy and different and threatening and surprising. And as much as I enjoyed Cersei blowing everybody up last year, that wasn't that, wasn't that surprising. Like, that was something that was fun, and it worked, and you bought into it. Um, but I, I, I'm interested to see how much... How much edge they've got left to them, and I haven't seen any evidence of it in a while. What about what about Tomlin bro- jumping out of the window and committing suicide? You don't think that has edge? And nobody liked that kid. <laughs> so your only definition for edge is if something bad happens to someone you like? No, that's not the only definition. I, 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 I well, well, here, well, here's something from from. I like that kid just fine. He wasn't. He was nice. Well, here's something from Sunday's episode that I think might might give some edge. You, you, now you have. A, a character who has the most powerful position in this entire universe, basically, and her sister, <laughs> or and, and her 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 brother, yeah, basically de- basically declaring that everyone we love is now dead, and now we're gonna go for broke. I I, I think the the possibilities, and and again, I've you know wrote a piece about this. Uh, last week that the Lannisters are the stars of the show and always have been. And so I think that that what they are going to do going forward this season is done with the knowledge that <laughs> that really nothing matters anymore. And I think what they are going to be capable of knowing that is going to add a lot of the edge that I think you're looking for. I think a lot of the edge is going to come, like you said, in the fact that it's ending and the fact that we are approaching an end of the show. I think the general problem for me is that before, even though it turned me off to some degree because, again, I, I, I struggle with the kind of moral coda of the show, um, it, it did give it a, a certain degree of, of 
of surprise. It, it made you feel like anything was possible from episode to episode. I do not feel like that is the case anymore. I feel like they're working very calculated, like very specifically towards an end. And when that end comes, there will be surprises, there will be tragedy, but on an episode-to-episode basis, it feels very much more planned out. It feels like I'm watching a blockbuster studio movie where as soon as each scene starts, I know exactly what's going to happen, and that's less exciting than it used to be, even though I'm not, I wasn't even a fan. It's so so disappointing, and in such small portions. (laughs) So a reference to something it's like an old expression or the, it's it, the food is terrible and it's such small portions right um hey you're the ones who like it yeah i like it still i would be interested in woody allen's version of westeros that would be that, that would be that would be an interesting place to that's a, that's an impression for you to work on <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about impressions we're, get, <laughs> we're getting special guests i don't know what you're talking yeah, about. yeah totally totally um man i mean i think game of thrones is do I think Game of Thrones is high art at this point? I don't know if I do. Like, I think it's a, it's. I think there's some marvelous filmmaking on display. Yep. I think there's, I think there's characters I personally really enjoy and connect with, but it is more in in the in the grand scheme of like TV for me, it is more like a popcorn, popcorn of popcorn flick than it is a you know, meaty meaty thing I sit down with. And making grand scale adventures for a mass audience is much different than being a, a spry little startup uh, fantasy show based on books that are pre-existing. This is a, a gargantuan task facing them, and the 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 aspects of it that they have to cater to not only to try to try to please the fan base that exists, but to try to keep expanding and and to be you know the best show they can be, as well as ending in the best way that they possibly can. I mean. I'm I'm still curious to see what's going to happen. I just there's certain scenes that pop up that that do rub me the wrong way because I feel like they're missing that that drive that that usually existed that thread that tension that was there before. Does the prospect of all of these narrative threads converging give you any hope that 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 we won't have to spend as much time hopping between these yeah. different areas and, and that if they're all going to the same place, then that might solve some of the problems that you have. Absolutely. And, and let me give you maybe the last thing I'll mention and, and perhaps the best example of why this this kind of episode and a lot of the early episodes, I guess, of Game of Thrones are, are frustrating to me. When you've got Jon Snow talking about how they're going to spend so much time mining for, what the fuck was it? Dragon, dragon glass. Dragon glass. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the episode, the guy that he sent to read up and prepare for how to defeat the White Walkers, finds and just randomly finds in a book that he picked off a shelf because it was right next to him, randomly discovers, oh my gosh, there is this mountain of dragonglass. I need to tell Jon Snow. That is not true. He He picked up a bunch of books. He was studying them all night. There is literally a whole section of books back there. He went on his first trip and picked up maybe five and came back and found it. I'm just saying you over-exaggerated that. I didn't, again, because I just explained exactly what happened. And and the point of it being is these are giant, big puzzle pieces that you are staring at, and you understand them immediately. And the fact that they're just so obviously connected together, and that's what this episode was about, makes this le- this episode less entertaining. It's, it's the opening chapter of a next book. I mean, I I, right. I, I do get that to some extent, and, and I think you see it also in the Jamie and Cersei scene where right. they're talking about, uh, where they're sort of giving you a recap of all of the state of all of their alliances. Mm. And and I think that's, that's, that, that's 
inherent in telling an episodic story in chunks and coming back. They're catering just as much to the viewers who are watching in the moment as they are to people, like you said, who may be watching all the episodes back to back. Well, and I think also, uh, I think especially with these early episodes, like you say, they can be frustrating in many respects. Um, and I feel like, though, that they do oftentimes have a, do a nice job of making sure to punctuate the scene, the episodes, these episodes with at least like something interesting or fun. Like you're on Greyjoy in the throne room. That that whole scene scene was delightful. Magical, to watch. magical. Yeah, easily easily the most entertaining part of of the episode for me. And, the and that pirate? was a char- what the pirate? Yeah, yeah. The pirate was a good actor. Yeah, the pirate is good. And the funny thing, too, is that he never made much of an impression on me last season. But this, but like just with this one scene, I'm like, okay, I'm on board with this guy. I am into him. I like that he left by by proposing an idea. He's like, this is how I've heard that you win over a woman. And I'm going to go do it. And she just sat there and was like, all right. <laughs> hey, knock, look. Knock yourself out. Look, as a lady, when a guy says something like that to you, what you do is you say, Let's see what you got. Oh no, I wasn't. I wasn't criticizing. I was yeah. Cersei is doing Cersei's thing. So well, no, I, I I agree. That was. I mean, that was a very. That was an entertaining scene. By I'm the way, I, I have a prediction for that scene. Up. I have a prediction that the the thing he's going to bring back is Tyrion. I think that's a solid prediction. Great. As as we found out from the trailer and last night's episode, uh, Cersei and Jaime think that they're the only Lannisters who matter. Oh, yeah, she wants him dead. She wants him dead. Just one last note. In an, in an episode like this that we've all agreed is setting everything up, mm-hmm. perhaps the, the defining moment for whether or not like you're rubbed the right way or the wrong way by it is that the last line is, shall we begin? I was, sitting, I was again, sitting next to Ben. Your reaction to that cracked me up. I mean, we watched an hour and a half, and, and again, like, an hour and a half of a show that's going to be over in 12 more episodes. We What's spent an hour and a half with it, and that's when it's beginning? Why didn't we pick it up there then? Like, what? I mean, what are we talking about here? I, I don't know if you saw uh, Jorah Mormont's left arm. Uh, for him, the show has begun for a very long time. <laughs> that guy did not age well. By the way, very interesting. Uh, it was an interesting choice to make that a jump scare moment. Like, mm-hmm. that was that – was, I was not – I oh was, man, yeah. That was that was just like that was. I was drifting off, <laughs> not literally, but I was I was getting You're I was in the lulled zone. into a boredom. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an interesting moment. I actually think it didn't work, but it was. I I at least admire the fact they did a thing. Well, and it reinforces the idea that he's becoming something not human. Yeah, I don't and, know. And that, d- that 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 usually jump scares are reserved for monsters and and yeah. things that are not of this world. And so to have to introduce him in this season in that way. I think thematically made sense. I mean, I, yeah, I don't quite know what grayscale actually does to you. I guess it makes you. I guess it makes you into that monster that is the grayscale guy. Okay, that makes sense now. I know a lot about Game of Thrones, guys. I'm like an expert. No, I am. <laughs> no, that's why. That's one of the reasons why we name one character on the show you haven't already mentioned that we haven't already mentioned. Like by name, and you probably and I might even make you spell it. Oh, there's no way I can do that. <laughs> that's not possible. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Curious though that you're. Never mind. <laughs> what are you? What are you? Oh. I was just curious that that uh, to review something you must be 
an expert of the material within it, not the narrative structuring or artistry behind it. Well, it helps to know how to spell the character names. That's Googleable, Liz. Yeah, not, not as much as you'd think. Um, most importantly, here's the question I have, mm, mm. Steve. What was the best thing you watched last week? Best thing I watched last week. Uh, I'm I'm going to cheat. I'm going to override the wishes of co-host God damn Ben, it, Steve. <laughs> and I'm going to pick two best things that I saw in the past week or so. Uh, one is a new show on Comedy Central called Hood Adjacent, uh, mm-hmm. hosted by James Davis. Uh, I think it's a really interesting look at uh, at, at sort of the, the the issues and perspectives of of what it's like to sort of be black in America right now, hmm. uh, and and to to sort of be pulled either towards liking things that are in the mainstream or or sort of staying true to who you are, uh, and and it's done in a really interesting format too. Uh, it's it's part sketch, it's part stand up, it's part sort of man on the street, it's part like candid camera joke <laughs> segments. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's a nice little formal mix-up, and, and I think overall the writing is really, really strong. Uh, and then also, just premiered last week, I'm Sorry, a new show Yay. on True TV, Andrea Savage's new show. Uh, the, the, first, the first episode kind of lulls you into thinking that this is going to be sort of another awkward... Uh, I'm I'm a, a comedian in LA and I don't know how to get my life together sometimes. But over the course of the the first sort of three or four or five episodes that will air, it's it, it becomes something a lot more sincere than I think a lot of people would expect. Especially when you sort of hear some of the jokes and sort of find out what some of these episodes are about. And is doing a really good job of filling out not only the 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 marriage at the center of the show, hmm. but also the 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 friends that Andrea, the character in the show, has. And, and and the people in their lives, and so I think it's 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 not only a really funny comedy, but it's approaching it in a really thoughtful way and really diving into what it means to be a comedian in everyday life and not have that filter and and whether you can successfully work in comedy and and make people laugh for a living and be able to turn that off when you're in public places and places where you have to conceivably be a responsible adult. Interesting. I like what you said about the marriage because I've seen the first episode and I really responded to Tom Everett Scott as her husband. He's, I thought, a, he's great. He's great. Yeah. I think in, in even just the first episode, they seem to have a really nice connection. Definitely. Definitely. Completely agree. President cool. Montez approves. <laughs> Speaking of, Ben, what was the best thing you saw last week? Uh, well, the best thing I saw last week, and I anticipate this to be the case for a good couple weeks, because we're starting to struggle with stuff to look forward to. There's, yep. there's it's a, a dark time. A little bit of a lull here in TV world, and by that I mean we're busy doing Emmys coverage, Comic Con, and TCAs. So it's going to be well. Actually, you'll probably hear a lot of us talk. You'll probably hear Liz and I talk a lot about TCA screeners that won't debut for a very long time. But uh, that being said. Twin Peaks will be the end-all, be-all for me for a while. I, uh, I, I've adored the new season. Um, I find it to be a, a, a respite from the rest of television, especially as we mentioned right now. Uh, so I'm always looking forward to what David Lynch does next, which is probably, it's, it, it would probably be my next thing as well for the foreseeable future. I will say this, though, just so I don't sound too snobby on a week in which I, find, I sound extremely snobby. Yes. In my spare time. Rewatched the OC season one, oh. and it remains perfect. How do we let you have spare time to waste on such things like that? It is the it is the best, you guys. I mean, it is legitimately great television. 
I am I am in awe of what they were able to do that first season in like twenty seven episodes. I have I, I have definitely seen an episode of the OC before and know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Steve I, gets it, you guys. I actually did watch the OC with friends uh, that first season, and it was it was a very fun group viewing experience. We had a great time. Yeah, it's yoga lattes. It's, <laughs> sometimes I think you talk just to hear yourself speak. Yeah, well, sometimes I do. <laughs> and with that, Liz, what was the best thing you watched last week? Um, this I don't think I technically watched this last week. Last week, but I finally disqualified. I finally finished Glow. Yeah. Oh no, I think you did. Didn't Glow. you mention? I think you you're close enough. Yeah. You told me about it this week. That's for sure. Okay. Yeah, maybe it was last weekend because last weekend we it was very very hot in Los Angeles and I was very very miserable. But so but I and I couldn't sleep one night. So like from one a.m. to four a.m. I just kind of blearily watched Glow and the only thing about the experience that made it bearable was that Glow was really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't checked, I, 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 I'm, I'm late on this one. A lot of other people have a lot of other people have already written a lot of things about how fun and fun and female positive and you know, in, enjoyable it is. Yeah Liz, you're the only person in this room who hasn't interviewed Betty Gilpin yet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> on a related note, Netflix, please renew <laughs> Glow for season two. <laughs> Steve may have made a, a slight mistake while speaking to Betty Gilpin earlier this week. Oh, what did he do? I may have uh, assumed that it had already been renewed. Oh, no. Uh, when it has not. So so please, uh, I, I... Don't I w- make I w- Steve a liar. I would very much not like for Betty Gilpin to have a heart attack on my account, so... Yeah, okay. I'm, 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 I, I've already wanted a season two, but now I definitely feel so. Yeah, we need it. We need it now. Yeah. Like, sometimes we joke about needing season twos. Now we really do. Yeah, we have an actual reason. So, Netflix, stop with this cancellation nonsense for yeah. a little bit. Get your well, act you, together. You can, if you need to cancel something, we've got suggestions, but not Glow. <laughs> also, I love that, that uh, being late on Glow counts as like three weeks later. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> right. That's what, Liz, how dare you? That's millennium in TV time, in TV critic time anyway. Yeah. Um, Steve, what was, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, like, like Ben... Uh, Alluded to, we are Twin Peaks. We are into an effect. <laughs> no, I will. I will. I will. I will, I will we'll save that for an offline discussion. Uh, I we are entering a very dark time for for new TV shows. There's not a whole lot to get super excited about. So what I'm looking forward to next week is another episode of your and mine favorite comedy. And that's Casual. Uh, I think. Yes. I think the end. Great. Of, Season three of Casual is is ending up in a very very interesting place. We've got three or four episodes left after this week, I believe, and some really great contributions from some great guest directors uh, who have never worked on the show before. I think the show has never had a better handle on who these three people are, and there is one particular relationship that has popped up over the last few mm-hmm. weeks. I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet, but there's a very unexpected. Uh, uh, pairing in this show that makes me more delighted than any other on-screen couple I've seen in a very long time. Wow. They might be the couple of 2017, the TV couple at least. Maybe, maybe I, a couple. I would, I would write that piece. If, 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 the, if that relationship lasts through the end of the season, which like I am crossing both fingers to make sure that happens, yeah. I would write that piece. Yeah. I will. I, you know me. I like a love story. I'll catch up. Yeah, Liz. Do it. All right. Uh, ben, <laughs> for, for for a moment, I forgot my role in this in this game. Uh, ben, I mean, what is the thing that you were looking forward to watching this week? Uh, actually, I'm going to complicate this a little bit further because I have a choice 
but I don't want to be redundant. So I want to hear what Liz is looking forward to first, and that's going to decide what I talk about. Okay. Um, I think we might overlap is the point. Okay. Well, I've been very patiently holding on to these screeners. Oh, yeah, we overlapped. (laughs) Ballers! Oh, I thought you were going in a different direction. That's ballers, folks. She's talking about the HBO comedy comedy that's quotes uh ballers with who's in it nobody the rock <laughs> i'm very excited for I, i'm excited to watch ballers i'm more excited to write about ballers than i am to watch ballers i think because writing about the way in which i have found such joy in writing about ballers and they haven't stopped me yet from writing about ballers in that way so i'm gonna keep doing it i um i've actually had in my on my drafts queue like my 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 work What's what I need to be working on? I've had a, a headline, something to the effect of uh, "Ballers is my guilty pleasure TV, and I can't understand why." As an article, I've been meaning to write since season two, like since season two began, and I ended up binging whatever, however many screeners they gave us. They gave uh, us like the first five. Yeah, they gave us quite a few, and right. I went right through it, and I very much enjoyed it to right. the point where I'm now not quite as intensely passionate as Elizabeth over here. But um, I am very much looking forward to those screeners, and I cannot explain it from a objective point of view. <laughs> you're just you're just that much of a Rob Corddry fan. That's okay. It's, you can admit it. This might be the best thing Rob Corddry's ever done. Performance, wow. performance wise, performance wise. He is even Children's Hospital. Yes, Children's Hospital. He's playing broad comedy. Like Ballers makes him do a makes him work. Interesting. I you think may, you may have just sold me on actually catching up with the show before it premieres. I'm. Yeah. Also, you need. Don't you want to know how hard the rock balled? Well, I, I, I have been informed of it weekly yeah. by someone who may be sitting in this room. So by someone who who likes to use that same chart to occasionally Photoshop other individuals into it and see, you know, well, you either really dropped the ball this week or you balled quite hard. Yeah, I've only done it a couple of times. Uh, You've used Zach's. I was going to say, I only, how, I only, how, I only, hard, how hard did the Sharf ball? The Sharf, uh, the, the, I, I do have one for Zach Sharf, and I think and I actually, employee, Zach yeah. Sharf. And uh, I, my pledge this season, this season, my goal is to get Elizabeth Warren reading them, yes. reading reading my ballers, my ballers uh, reviews, and because if, because and I, I'm going to tell her that if she does, I will make her her own scale. How hard did the Warren ball? I think she might prefer to to rank herself, like to say that the rock ball, like she might give you a secondary opinion. So like if if two critics wrote a review, we might have two grades at the bottom. Uh, for yours, it might be two. How hard did the rock balls? One for your opinion, and one from Elizabeth Warren. I mean, if Elizabeth Warren wants to tell me how hard she thinks the rock balls each week, I will one hundred percent include that in my review. Right. I should start because she loves him, and she's listening right now. So obviously, so just this is I'm your just, invi- no, I'm formal just, invitation. I'm literally realizing I could call her office. I'm sure they'd be delighted to have someone call their office and not ask about health care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of, I kind of hope she's more excited for somebody to call her about healthcare than than ballers. But I understand. I was just saying, like you know, it's more fun to talk about ballers. Right? Than maybe it's a little lunch break kind of thing. Exactly. Um, she that's it's how she relaxes. It's how she unwinds. And, <laughs> and she needs it. There's she's doing a lot of good work right now. We all need it. So, so your answer is also ballers. Uh, it would have been ballers. Now I'm going to use my very smidget of time remaining to again recommend Ozark on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I believe I predicted on this podcast earlier, the reviews that are rolling in are a bit divisive in the sense that some people 
see Ozark as, uh, I believe it was described as a shell of prestige TV uh, versus others who are as excited as I am by kind of the, the bold, daring, and dark arena that Jason Bateman has both created and is working in. Um, it, I, I, I think Ozark is a fascinating show. I, it's one of those where I will, again, not force anyone to watch it because it is a tough viewing experience at times. Um, but it is, it is exciting. It is surprising, and it has an edge. Oh, you're going to be able to read all about that and more on IndieWire.com, where there are news, reviews, interviews, features. Uh, and please listen to our other IndieWire podcasts, including the Filmmaker Toolpit. Toolkit. Toolpit. Not Toolpit. Though, I mean, a pit full of tools is arguably more useful, because it's yeah. probably bigger than a kit. It is. Um, with Chris O'Fault. Make sure you listen Who to that. Who happens to be, for, for the only time in this show's history, be sitting about... 15 feet from where we're recording. Oh, like two and, doors down. Yeah. And speaking of and people sitting even closer to us include Michael Schneider. Who has the Turn It On podcast, which is another one you need to make sure you listen to. And then next door, if she wasn't finishing up watching Dunkirk right now, would be our own Ann Thompson, uh, who co-hosts the Screen Talk podcast with Eric Cohn. And spoiler alert, guys, she loved Dunkirk. Everybody is. Get ready. Are you sure she did? Or Yeah. She tweeted? Yes. Oh, very interesting. Well, uh, we will be back next week. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Where can you be found on Twitter again? Uh, at Steve Bruin. <laughs> there you go. go. Bruins, you and you can also find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can find Lizlet on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E. Correct. We will be back next week, as I already said. But in the meantime, you guys, keep watching television. 